Well, tonight we're going to go back to the book of Jeremiah. One of the reasons I really do want to keep meeting in the evenings and not be so quick as we've been in the past to cancel services, even to do it on Zoom as we're doing this evening, is uh, that we'd have some consistency. Uh, if I was to ask you where we were last time in the book of Jeremiah, uh, you would probably not uh, remember. You maybe know the, uh, the general area in the book of Jeremiah where we, we have been studying. But we've been in chapter 11. Uh, we've gone through pretty much the first uh, 17 verses of Jeremiah chapter 11. Uh, this is the passage that emphasized the fact that the nation of Israel, or Judah, had broken covenant with God. Um, again, they boasted in advantages and privileges that God had given them as a nation, but they had squandered those privileges, they had abused their advantages, and uh, God is now going to dismantle all these things that they put their trust in, rather than putting their trust in Him. Uh, the matters pertaining to the temple earlier on in chapter 7 through 10, now the covenant in chapter 11. Um, he's going to dismantle that relationship. And it goes so far as to, that he says um, to Jeremiah for the idolatries that they've been guilty of, the uh, offerings that they've made to Baal, the uh, wickedness they've been guilty of, the refusal to hear my words, uh, the fact that they've been unfaithful to my covenant and have broken it by their apostasies and their um, disobedience. Um, don't even pray for them. Don't even pray for this people. Don't lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf. It's not going to do them any good. Uh, Jeremiah is a covenant mediator is, as a, and a prophet. Prayed for the people. That's what prophets did. You see uh, Abraham, a prophet, praying uh, in the book of uh, Genesis uh, chapter 20. It's said to, but uh, God says to Abimelech, he's a prophet. He will pray for you. Uh, Samuel, uh, a prophet or a judge, but a prophet, uh, prayed for the nation. Prophets prayed uh, for those that they labored amongst. And now Jeremiah is told something that must have broken his heart. Uh, certainly the reality of the sins of the people, their idolatries and apostasies and all of the rest broke his heart, but now the fact that he really couldn't do them any good. Every effort that he made to proclaim God's word to them was only going to end up in further disobedience, further rejection, further persecution brought his way. Um, and now he, think he can't even pray. God says, don't even pray or lift up a cry on their behalf. I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. They didn't listen to me when I spoke to them. And now God says, I won't listen to them when they call to me in the time of their trouble. And so God has purposed that there's going to be disaster that's going to come upon the nation in the form of the Babylonian captivity. And uh, all of this was because uh, they were not faithful to God's covenant. They, my covenant, he'll say in chapter 31, 31, which they broke. They broke his covenant. Now, um, at verse 18, really into chapter 12, uh, we have a section where Jeremiah lays before God his complaints. Uh, we call these sections lamentations. Uh, of course, there's a whole book of Lamentations that uh, Jeremiah is the author, reputed author of. Um, in his book, he offers up to God Lamentations. basic meaning of a lamentation is a complaint, bringing before God his complaints. Sometimes uh, 
in the literature, they're called his confessions. He's confessing his, his angst, his woes, his, his confusion, his sense of injustice, everything that's troubling in his soul. He goes, comes before God and lays it all out before him in the way of confession. Not the confession of his sins, not the confession of his faith, but the confession of his woes, bringing before God his, um, his complaints. And so we have really the beginning of his sorrows uh, laid out before us. And it's these confessions or complaints or sorrows that uh, Jeremiah speaks to and addresses in his book. And there's about five separate sections of these complaints in his book that really makes Jeremiah the most autobiographical of all of the prophets. Uh, We know more about him personally, what he's thinking, what he's feeling, uh, the distress of his heart and, and mind. Um, and again, I think that's one of the reasons Paul is so autobiographical. I think, believe he fed much upon the prophet, of, prophet Jeremiah, and he opened his heart, certainly in the presence of God, and opened up his heart, even his prayer life, before the people of God and the letters that he wrote, uh, to, that he wrote uh, to the churches. Um, the first of the complaints in chapter 11, uh, verse 18 uh, really to verse uh, 20, is a complaint that is brought out of a disclosure that God had made to Jeremiah of the deceptive purposes of the people of Jeremiah's own city, the city of Anathoth, in their seeking out his life. And so that's the first thing. He comes before God and lays before the Lord as his complaint. And then in verse 21 and 20 to 23, God answers his complaint. So we have this pattern of Jeremiah laying out his complaint before God and then receiving a response from the Lord. We have a similar thing in chapter 12, um, verses 1 to verse, um, verse 4. Uh, Jeremiah lays out his complaint again. It's a different kind of complaint. It focuses upon a different matter of confusion and perplexity. Basically here it has to do with um, pleading his cause with respect to the prosperity of the wicked, the fact that the treacherous are thriving, much the kind of complaint you see in the Psalms. In fact, uh, in the book of, of the Psalms, is, is this loaded with this sort of stuff, loaded with this, these kind of complaints, and um, not always are answers uh, received, but often they are. And here in the words of Jeremiah's prophecy, he not only lays out his complaint uh, before the Lord, but he does receive these answers. The answer we have in chapter 12 to the second complaint is in verses 5 and 6. And that's the material we hope to look at this evening. Uh, complaints 1 and 2, what they were about, how God answers. And so um, so let's begin. Let's begin with the beginning of Jeremiah's sorrows, uh, his complaints, his uh, his. Uh, confessions, his lamentations before the Lord. And here it has to do with the danger that he was facing from his own countrymen, uh, the people of the priestly city of Anathoth. Again, that was one of the priestly cities assigned to the priests, and Jeremiah, being uh, of the priestly line, um, lived in the city of Anathoth, and um, here you have a priestly... Excuse me? I'm sorry? Pastor, excuse me. Can, Can you pump up your voice a little bit louder? I don't know if anyone else feels that you're fading, but okay. I, I am. 
I don't know if you're close enough to the microphone. Okay, well, I'll do, I'll do my best to come, come forward. Is this better? Thank you. Is it better? Yes. Okay, good. But now, you, now your face is a little... Now your face is a little too close. We can't have everything. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're right, right. So, what you're going to lose out in visual, you know, my profile, you're going to gain in volume and hopefully understanding. So, the most important thing is that I can be heard. So, if this is better, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Um, okay, so again, we have the complaint, and then we have God's answer. Here the first complaint has to do with Jeremiah's life coming under jeopardy from a priestly city turned very, very perverse. And uh, the problem is, of course, is that the people of Anathoth are deceptively seeking the life of, um, of, the, of, of this prophet. Maybe he was an embarrassment to them. A guy from Anathoth leaving, going down to Jerusalem, going up to the temple, temple uh, preaching the way that he did against the temple, against the religious apostasy of the people. Maybe for them it was an embarrassment. He's preaching against our nation. He's calling us to repentance when uh, we are the covenant people. And uh, maybe it wasn't in the interest of the priestly caste to have one of their own doing this sort of thing. And so they're concerned as the leaders of the Jews sought to deceptively and secretly hold counsel together how they might destroy our Lord, uh, the people of Anathoth are doing something similar. They're meeting together, they're plotting together, they're seeking some way to bring about his, his demise. Um, and again, you see in verse 19, he speaks about, uh, I didn't know it was against me. They devised schemes. They were scheming, looking to bring his downfall. I didn't know that it was against me. They were devising these schemes. But not only were they seeking his life in this deceptive way, they were also seeking his life in a way that was simply unwarranted. I mean, Jeremiah simply did nothing that was worthy of death. He says, I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. Not a wild beast, not a ravenous lion. I wasn't looking to devour them like a wolf. I was a gentle lamb in their midst. My concern was to bless them. My concern was to teach them. My concern was to do them good. And for my good they are returning evil. I was a gentle lamb in their midst being led out to uh, the slaughter. I mean, language very reminiscent of our Lord Jesus in, in Isaiah 53. As a lamb led out to the slaughter. Um, so he did not open his mouth. Um, he uh, was reviled and did not revile again. Um, and here Jeremiah is in the same position, being plotted against, doing, see, going about doing good, looking to bless, and yet being met with these wicked devices on the part of people of his own city. You think of the Christ-likeness that Jeremiah may have. Remember, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Is that Jesus also was being pursued by the people of his own city. He says, a prophet has honor except in his own country. And it was the citizens of Nazareth that sought to cast him down from the temple, from the, from the, from the hill of where their synagogue was. Uh, they were out for blood. They were very offended by his teaching in the synagogue of Nazareth. And um, just as Jesus was pursued and he was plotted against, not only by the leaders, but even people of his own city, so uh, the men of Anathoth plotted against 
uh, this gentle lamb in their midst who sought to bless them and do them good in their deception. Uh, but then not only was this a deceptive effort to take his life and uh, certainly unwarranted, but they looked to destroy him completely, to destroy him totally. Uh, the expression that's used is, they say, let us destroy, this is in verse 19, let us destroy the tree with its fruit. I don't know exactly what they have in their mind, but maybe it's his children they want to kill as well. Let's take out the whole family, not just Jeremiah, but any progeny that he might have, any of his associates, anybody who's under his tutelage as a teacher. Uh, Let's simply destroy Jeremiah and the whole gang associated with Jeremiah, either in family or friends or close associates in his work. Um, We want to destroy him completely, the tree with its fruit. And also to destroy him probably judicially, because this expression, to cut him off from the land of the living, is an expression that's frequently found in the writings of the law, with reference to people who won't be circumcised, or people that commit uh, sins worthy of death, that they would be cut off from among the people. And I don't think in the Old Testament that's simply exile. I think in the Old Testament that's capital punishment. And again, there's the language of being cut off from the people that uh, Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter, 15, chapter 5, that uh, he, be, um, he be cut off from you, he be cast out from you. Uh, the indication there is in the New Covenant, we don't stone people, but we do discipline people, we do excommunicate people. But in the Old Covenant, that could have been the judicial verdict that would have said this person should die. He's done something that is worthy of death. They might have wanted to have this done uh, judicially, Uh, for the simple reason they wanted to cut him off family and all associates and all in all of this deceptive ways that they're engaging in this action to do it judicially so they might do it fully and finally and eternally that there would be this act against him that would lead to the fact that his name would be remembered no more and when you cut him off judicially and you execute him under the under penalty of law. I mean, it's not like in our country or in our times where we tend to glorify the criminals of the world and make Jesse James something of a great heroic personage or um, many of the other outlaws that we uh, enshrine in movies, the Bonnie and Clydes of the world, and somehow we're just not aware of the, of the viciousness and the horror which these people perpetrated. Um, we make it their deaths that are the thing that we uh, remember uh, how how they were how they were taken out by the federal authorities, but it was for their crimes. But anyway, in the in, in, in biblical times, that was such shame that you don't remember those people. They're cut off from the recollection of the nation. That's what they wanted to do. That's what they sought to do. And blessed be God, God did not allow that to be done. And in fact, it's these people that went into. Uh, non-entities. We don't know who they were. No one remembers them. Jeremiah outlived them, he outserved them, and he certainly is remembered even down to this generation. The people of Anathoth are not remembered, even though they were the ones that sought to destroy him and destroy even his memory. And it's in the face of those things that Jeremiah comes before the Lord and he says, the Lord made it known to me. The Lord disclosed this to me. I wouldn't have known it otherwise. I mean, sometimes you're just not aware that the people that you would bless and do good to you have that kind of venom in them to oppose you in such a way. Um, 
he had he never any thought of violence, but they did. He never any thought of um, of uh, having done them wrong, and so why would they do any wrong to him? But they did. They did conceive and plot wrong against Jeremiah, and it was only God's own disclosure to him of the facts that made him aware of it. Yahweh made known to me in verse 18, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds. You showed me what they were about, what they were doing, their plots, and all the rest. And then he cries out to the Lord who made this known to him. It's not just that he would stew in his juices or he'd fret about the problem, that he would take this information and bring it before the presence of God in prayer. How often we just take our troubles, we take uh, the way people treat us unfairly and unjustly, and we just are constantly licking our wounds. We're just constantly uh, absorbed with uh, the injustice of it and the the wrongness of it. But uh, what Jeremiah does is he brings it before his God. He lays the matter before him, and he pleads in the light of this that God would be the one who vindicates him, that God would be the one who protects him, that God would be the one who would turn the tables and what the enemies sought to do to him, God in fact would do to them. He says in verse 20, But O Yahweh of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, Lord, you know me through and through. You know what's in me. You know my goodwill towards the people that you've called me to proclaim your word to. And he appeals to God as the righteous judge who perfectly knows the heart and mind of his people, of all humanity. And then he says, let me see your vengeance upon them, not their vengeance upon me. He's not going to avenge himself. He's going to give place to the wrath of God. He's not going to go to war with them. But he's going to pray that God will vindicate him and that in whatever way God's judgment will fall upon them. Um, they will be reproved. They will be rebuked. They would be stopped in their tracks. They would be hindered from carrying out their, their efforts against him. Um, and so he lays it before the Lord and he says, To you I've committed my cause. And then I'm going to go to sleep tonight in peace. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to fret about it. I'm not going to be biting my nails to the cuticle. I'm not going to be racking my brain to wonder what's going to happen next. I'm not going to be giving myself ulcers. I'm going to lay this in the hands of, of, of his God. And having done that, having laid these matters out before the Lord, God, he received his response. Therefore, verse 21, thus says Yahweh concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, this is their their problem with Jeremiah, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or Yahweh, or you will die by our hand. It's a risky business to serve God in a fallen world. Jeremiah's work was simply to speak in the name of Israel's God, to call the people back to him. And these prophecies that Jeremiah gave cut across the grain of their desires, of their understanding, of their false hopes for their future. 
that we're not rooted in divine truth and divine promise. And so we don't want to hear the word of the Lord. We don't want to hear the word of God's prophet. Do not prophesy in the name of Yahweh or you, Jeremiah, will die by our hand. Therefore, thus says Yahweh of armies, the God who has infinite resources to deal with the persecutors and afflictors of his people, he says, Behold, I will punish them. I will punish them. Rather than they punish his prophet, God's going to punish them. And they're going to be those who are taken away in the Babylonian invasion. Again, we're on the threshold of that event occurring. And they're not going to be exempted. The young men shall die by the sword. Again, these are things that are part of the curses of the covenant that we read about in Leviticus 26 and in Deuteronomy chapter 28. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. Sword, famine, pestilence. These are the things again and again and again God brought when the people did not obey him and did not uh, keep his covenant. And none of them shall be left. For I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. Jeremiah, their time's coming. The hour is coming when God will judge. And he will bring frustration to their plans. And instead of these people fulfilling their desires to bring about Jeremiah's end, it'll be rather their end that will come. But you, Jeremiah, you're going to be the one protected. You're going to be the one who will survive. You'll be the one who preaches obediently and lives obediently. And by your faith, Jeremiah, you will live. Well, we have one set of complaints that Jeremiah addresses before the Lord and receives God's answer. Now that that's out of the way, let's have a party. Now that that's out of the way, let's rejoice. Let's just breathe a, a big sigh of relief. But it's interesting, right on the heels of that complaint, Jeremiah Again, maybe this came later. Maybe there was some space between the two. But in a literary way, just as we read it in the text, right after that comes another complaint, the second great complaint that he lays out before the Lord. And this is a complaint that is probably even of greater perplexity and greater trouble to the heart of God's prophet. I mean, he can deal with the reality that secret plottings are going on by people of his own city. And, well, hey, what are you going to do? There are evil people that do evil things. But this complaint that he brings about in the next chapter, it may be related. It may be, well, hey, these citizens of Anathoth seem to be doing really well in the lives that they're living. Um, maybe the year of their punishment is coming, but it's not right now. Right now, right now they're flourishing. Right now they're prospering. Right now they're thriving. And that's the concern he has. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? He says in the words of verse 1. 
And he brings his complaint before the Lord and pleads his case before him. The most often in the scriptures when a prophet's pleading a case, it's God's case against the people. It's God bringing his charges against the people. But now it's Jeremiah pleading his case before the Lord. And, you know, you might think, what's, what's Jeremiah doing? Is he coming before the Lord saying, Lord, you, you're wrong in this? Lord, you are doing something improper? Uh, Lord, I'm bringing my case before you because you have sinned? Well, actually, no. Because Jeremiah comes before the Lord with the first thing upon his lips being, Righteous are you, O Lord. So this is not a complaint that he's given, giving because he thinks the Lord has sinned in some way. But still, it's a, a perplexing matter. It's a concern he has. And he wants to lay that out before the Lord. And he begins with the Lord's righteousness, that the judge of all the earth will do right. And he's confident in that. And even though it seems to be going on in his own experiences, you know, just this doesn't seem to be according to plan. According to the plan, the righteous prosper and the wicked are destroyed. It's well with the righteous and woe to the wicked. But that's not what we're seeing. Just the eye of sight just looks at the, the scene and it sees that everything is upside down. Wicked people are doing quite well. Just like Psalm 73 says, they have easy lives, they have pain-free deaths, uh, they thrive, they prosper, uh, the wicked are in misery, all the, uh, the righteous are in misery all the day long. And he says, Lord, look, look at what's going on here. You, you plant them. You brought the nation into the land. You gave them their inheritance. They've taken root. They've grown. They've produced fruit. And um, you're near in their mouths. Again, they go to the temple and they worship after they've left their adulteries and after they left their Baal sacrifices and after they've done all these abominable things. Uh, yeah, you're near in their mouth, but you're far from their heart. How in the world can they benefit? How in the world can they prosper in your world when their religion is only the religion of the tongue and not the religion of the heart? You're near in their mouth and their hearts, in their hearts, they are far from you. And then in contrast, again, he, he appeals to the God who knows people fully, who tests the heart, as he, as he did earlier in chapter uh, 11 and verse 20, uh, you who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind. Again, righteous you are, Lord, you do test the heart and the mind. He says, you see me, you test my heart towards you. Um, you know that my heart is right with you. I desire your pleasure. I desire to honor you and to please you and to serve you. Uh, unlike these people who could care less who just have a religion that's external, a religion that is merely a pretense, but not genuine, not heart religion. And then he prays in the light of it. And his prayer is that God would do to them, again, what the people of Anathoth wanted to do to him. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. That's how they wanted to treat me. Now you, Lord, you treat them in the way that transgressors should be treated, with little in the way of regard for anything but what justice would require. 
pull them out like sheep for the slaughter, set them apart for the for the day of slaughter. Because, and again, it, it, the people of Anathoth wanted to do this evil to Jeremiah uh, simply because their noses were, were, you know, turned out of shape because of words that Jeremiah spoke to them. They were offended. But Jeremiah was seeking their good. And, and here, Jeremiah is seeking the good of the nation. These miserable transgressors are, are bringing the land down. They're the reason this great invasion is, is on the threshold. Lord, take them away. Set them apart for the day of slaughter so that the land won't continue to mourn. Root out the unrighteous. And the grass of every field wither. For the evil of those who dwell in it, the land mourns, the land suffers, the land's going to experience the ravages of war and famine. These people who transgress and for whose sake this judgment will come, who are the reason that Israel as a nation has broken the covenant, Judah as a nation has broken the covenant, um, they are those that say he will not see our latter end. I mean, God will judge. We're not fearing him. We're not wondering about the consequences. Lord, bring the consequences that the land needs. The land needs to be rid of these transgressors. And again, the complaint is how long? How long will the land mourn? How long will mercy not be granted? How long will your judgment wait? And again, God gives an answer. Now, the answer God gives is interesting. You see, prophets are in the business of warning and admonishing um, other people. But sometimes they need a warning. Sometimes they get a little bit too big for their own uh, britches, and God has to come and address them in ways that... uh, are direct and clear. I don't want to say it's stern. I don't think it's a stern warning, but yet it's God's not uh, guising or he's not uh, hiding what, what Jeremiah needs to realize. Jeremiah, if you're in this place now, at this point in the nation's history, when there's relative peace around, when there are no boots of the Babylonians that have now come with invading power, their chariots are not um, coming down upon the nation. Um, if in, in this image that he uses, if, if you've raced with men on foot, if you've had a, a foot race and you've just got tuckered out and you've said, why bother to even run? I'm, I'm just exhausted. If you're exhausted even at this period, even before, the worst comes. And the worst is still coming. That's what Jeremiah's message has been. If you've come this far only to get tuckered out and wearied when you're just racing with footmen, how do you compete with horses? You can go out to Belmont and run the Belmont Stakes with, <laughs> against Secretariat? 
<laughs> you're, you're, you're not going to be able to be in the, in the, in the battle at all. In other words, when some, the argument is, it's not going to get better, Jeremiah. You have to man up now. You have to realize that though things do seem unjust, that's just what seems to be. That's the appearance of things. You need in the face of the appearance of injustice, the appearance that things need having been balanced. You need to know what it will, it will be, ultimately, that God's not going to allow his name to be trampled upon. He's not going to allow his word to go unfulfilled. He's not going to allow transgressors, ultimately, uh, to prosper. And when God does have his dealings with the nation, when the disaster come upon the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment comes, if Jeremiah is already talking this way now, what is he going to be saying then? That's the point of it. If in a safe land you are so trusting, which is like a minimal trust, a genuine trust, a true trust, but yet you're spooked by what your eyes see. You're not hearing my words and molding your outlook and your understanding and your way of seeing things in the light of the things I've declared I will do. If you are in a safe land, trusting just minimally, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? What are you going to do when the Jordan overflows its, its, its borders? What are you going to do in the midst of uh, an onslaught, such as will happen when the Babylonian armies come? For even your brothers in the house of your fathers, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Um, they're in full cry after you. Uh, do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. Don't, don't, don't allow yourself to be influenced so much by what the people are saying to you, even in their wrath, even because they're plotting against you. Place your trust in me. My words will come about. Uh, there will be no transgression, no sin that does not receive a just recompense or reward. God's going to make it right. He's going to balance it out. He's going to bring full justice. There's going to be wrath that will pour upon the transgressors. There will be a day of wrath in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And that's our, our hope. And that, that's our, uh, our confidence in the midst of a world that seems, again, upside down. Everything's topsy-turvy. God's going to make things right in what we call retributive justice, but also in, again, I try to emphasize this every time I can, um, a justice that brings about reconciliation, a justice that brings about uh, restoration. There is such a thing as restorative righteousness and restorative justice that God's people are involved in, where we seek to make things in our world better in relationships with other people. Certainly our relationship with God to be genuine and real and growing and authentic, and then to be light in the midst of this world to, to others. That's what Israel's calling was, was to be. But they, they could not fulfill that calling, but our calling is to engage in that kind of work. And so God has to bring them up short. Don't tuck her out now, Jeremiah. Don't get worried now. Your faith needs to be built up. Your faith needs to be deepened. Your trust in me ought, needs to be more full. Your confidence in my word needs to be more replete. 
And there's an interesting thing about this whole matter of bringing lamentations before the presence of God. I think I've talked to some of these issues before in studies in other parts, parts of Scripture. Is um, that we need to come before the Lord with a freedom to express our, our concerns, to plead our case before Him, just like Jeremiah do, did. Uh, to come before the Lord uh, and lay it out completely, everything that's upon our hearts, everything that's within our souls. And we need to do that with that kind of freedom and liberty characteristic of the people of God reconciled to him through the death of his son, part of God's family, his children, who can come to him with with filial confidence, the confidence of adopted sons and daughters, uh, to just lay our burdens at his feet and to call upon his name and to ask for his intervention and then to learn to submit to whatever it is that he brings. And so freedom needs to characterize the way in which we engage in lamentation as Jeremiah did. But the faith also needs to be an element that is worked into this whole, the whole fabric of our complaints before God. We need to add to the freedom of our approach faith in his words, that our, our understandings need to be structured by the promises, the warnings, the statements of his word. Um, and we need to look at our complaint and our troubles through that grid through that perspective we need to clamp on our faces the scripture colored glasses that enables us to see things in the light of God's truth and that's one of the areas I think that Jeremiah was a little bit short and had to be reproved is that there needed to be a greater measure of trust that God's going to work out these troubles in the midst of um, it, again things didn't get righted right here now but yet Think of the psalmist in Psalm 73. He was filled with trouble about the prosperity of the wicked and the troubles of the righteous. And then he says, when I went into the sanctuary of God, something happened. I saw their latter end. I knew that I need to see things in terms of the long distance purpose and plan of God. Everything is not going to be righted in a moment. Everything in the world is not going to be turned up right side up in a moment. And anybody that tells you it will is trying to sell you something or they're, they're running for office. They're not, they're not right. They're not sincere. No, no program or policy or party platform or anything like that is going to heal all the troubles of a sinful world. And we need to be trusting. We need to be believing. We need to be faithful. And we need to come to God in faith with our lamentations and our complaints and our troubles. And then the other aspect that really needs to come in in the midst of our troubles and complaints that we lay before him is that God would grant us a greater measure of fortitude, a greater measure of resolve, of courage in the face of the things we're dealing with, whether it's people of our town looking to exclude us and cast us out or put us in jail or whatever they would want to do. Some countries put God's people to death. If it just might be just the perplexity we have of where is God's justice in the midst of such an unjust world. We need to have fortitude to continue on in faithfulness before the Lord, to persevere, and, and to do it with a sense of our, our, our love to God and his, and his Word and His Son, casting out the fears that perplex and trouble 
and lead us to bear our complaints before the Lord. I mean, I think we need courage in the midst of a fallen world to go on in faithfulness because and not get wearied with foot races. Not get wearied in a in a in a safe land. I mean, the, the slightest thing seems to trouble Christians today. One verdict of a, of a court somewhere that has a decision that's against what people think are Christian values, and, and they're about to crumble. And meanwhile, people in Nigeria are being slaughtered. Are we that fragile as Americans, as people living in the 21st century? We need to be less fragile, less willing to just think the world's going to end because things aren't going our way in any given moment. We need to think of the long haul. We need to think of God's ultimate purposes being carried out in the world and to be part of those purposes, not just to cry, or cry us a river of tears, but to labor for the progress of the gospel and for the glory of the Lord in the world. So when you read Lamentations, uh, glory in the reality that we have freedom to express such things in the presence of God. Couple with the expression of those things, this matter of faith, and then let's, I hate to say man up, that sounds rather, you know, I don't know, sexist in a way, but in a real sense, manliness and courage that women could have too. Women could be courageous, but it seems to be in Scripture recognition that's kind of a manly thing, that men go to war. Well, women are part of this war against, not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. So let nobody get offended. I say to act like a man. Paul says it to the Corinthians, to have this manly attribute uh, that women should have too, of create a fortitude and courage that is not going to be waylaid by the simple troubles that are common to men, the simple troubles that are common to Christians in all generations. Let's not get weary with foot racing. Let's continue on in the race, heading to the goal, knowing that the triumph and the victory is a certainty. So... May God be pleased to, to bless his word. I'm sorry tonight. No one has their camera on. I'm not seeing any faces but my own. But I hope the word of God has been profitable. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this time to consider the whole matter of Jeremiah's complaints before you and, and help us to learn what we need to learn. Help us to not overreact to the troubles of our world. We're called, man is born into trouble, we're told, as the sparks fly upward. It's, it's part of being human, and it's part of living as a Christian, that we do face the troubles, uh, the afflictions. The, the, it's through many tribulations, Paul told the, the, the churches, we must enter the kingdom of God to help us to face those uh, troubles, freely expressing our, our, our burdens and our needs and our concerns, to do this in faith and to do this with the, the fortitude that your grace supplies, that perfect love that casts out fear. We ask that you'd hear our prayers. We're thankful for this day that we've been able to share something of uh, the things of the Word of God with each other, uh, to be encouraged in song, to be encouraged by prayer. 
Be pleased to bless your people, and we pray that we would soon be able to gather together in live meetings as your people to worship you in the power of your Spirit and with the joy of the Holy Spirit to be able to be gathering together in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. We ask that you hear our prayers as we come before your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.